You're led into a room, sat in a chair. You're provided with a laptop computer, which is running some very basic full-screen software. In that basic interface is an empty chat history window and an area where you can type and send messages. No, this isn't the imitation game, because below that are some pictures of items. Let's keep it simple and assume that they're books, hats, and balls. Next to each is a dollar amount. And lastly, below that is a series of icons representing items available. Again, books, hats, and balls. Your partner in this experiment greets you. Hi. And the experimenter gives you instructions. You are to engage in negotiation with the agent on the other end of the line. You're to divide up these items in whatever way you see fit. If you can't come to an agreement, you may quit. The other agent doesn't necessarily have the same dollar amounts associated with the items. For them, these things yield a different utility. They earn them rewards that don't match yours. You're asked to keep your values private, and those are all the rules. So begins the negotiation you have with the agent on the other line. Oh, by the way, maybe they're a human, maybe they're a machine. We should all be prepared to be talking to a lot more machines in contexts like this. Very niche, specific conversations. It wouldn't surprise me at all to find out that, in the very near future, a trained model is put forward which is indistinguishable from a human in a game like this, a very simplified game. Oh, also, I guess one in which you're only allowed to talk about the game. <laughs> yeah, that'd be an important requirement if, uh, if we call this the negotiating Turing test. That problem's within reach, it seems to me. Anyway, let's talk about your strategy, and let's reduce the problem a little bit and come back to the one at hand first. I'll coach you through a few things so you have an informed way you can go play this game. Now, much of auction theory belongs to econometrics. For a game theorist, the way to play the game is to find an equilibrium strategy and stick to it. What is an equilibrium strategy? Well, it's actually a pair of strategies, one for each player, or a triangle for three and so on. And it's very open what that pair can look like. I'm going to go ahead and call it an algorithm, even if it's something simple like flip a coin. So a pair of Turing machines, and they're considered in equilibrium if they have just one simple, well, I don't know if it's simple, but one simple to state property, that neither agent is incentivized to change their strategy if the opponent sticks to the agreed upon one in the pair. You and the other agent, in advance, you agree on what you're going to do, what your strategy is. You're coordinated. Let's just assume you know the other agent's strategy and you know they're going to stick to it. The other agent is superstitious, they flip a coin every time, Heads yes, tails no. Well, if they're truly that stubborn, you can exploit it. They're predictable. So you play the most ideal opposite to that. And once you've found that ideal opposite, again, if they're stuck on theirs, there's no reason to switch yours. You're already in the best spot. I like to imagine a drop of water rolling down a canyon to its lowest point. Well, not necessarily its lowest point. A lowest point. A, a locally optimal point. The raindrop needs a bit of luck to go into the right direction to find the globally optimal solution. There are often many equilibria. That's actually a big problem in game theory. Sometimes the equilibria seem very fragile, like, like a very, very temporary truce in a military circumstance. Sometimes they're in a big range. It all depends on the game. So how does this all relate back to negotiation? Well, the simplest form of any negotiation is where there's two agents negotiating, and they both know each other's value of the item. Let's just go with a house to make this simple. I have a house worth $100,000 to me. To you, it's worth $120,000. Okay, it's worth more to you than to me. I'm willing to sell it to you. 
If it was the other way around, we would you know, have to part ways. What would be the point? But should I sell it at the low end or the high end? That's where negotiation comes in. But again, simplest base case. There's no secrets here. Some kind of way I know the exact dollar amount you value the house at. Even though that's obviously a fiction, you know, there's time on the market, there's money moving this and way and that, and reinvestment, and tax things, and set all those things aside. Think of a simpler world. We're doing the base case. I know the dollar amount you value something at, you know my amount. As long as there's room in the middle, we just have to pick a spot. Now, technically, every one of those spots is in equilibria. If I pick a very advantageous, unfair-to-you position, and I say, I'm not moving, you can take it or leave it. There's a positive transaction to be had here. You will gain in wealth by exchanging, although perhaps at the cost of some pride. So that's if I'm fixed and I stomp my feet and I say, I'm not moving, and you know absolutely for sure that I'm truthful about that. Then yeah, it's take it or leave it. But you could counter demand to me. No, you want an unfair share going to yourself. There are an infinite number of equilibria here, and no real way to agree on the one we're going to choose. In this regard, many refer to game theory as incomplete, in that it doesn't specify the optimal behavior at a point like this. Although, there's an easy case to be built for just randomize. And although mathematically correct, if you get into the literature, at least in my read, it always seemed a bit peculiar to me that we would assume that agents would synchronize on exactly that system. But anyway, let's make it more complicated. Back to the negotiation, my demands are too high. You need to wait me out. Okay, how long can you wait? How long can I wait? You've got a baby on the way. I've got a podcast. Seems like you've got a much greater urgency here. How do we model that mathematically? Now, in real life, it's going to be something choppy, right? Your lease ends in three months, and or you get the raise, or the kid's getting born, or whatever. There are plateau events, and the average person's life. And of course, that can be modeled. But you lose a lot when you don't have uh, differentiability and stuff. But let's not go that deep today. Let's keep it real simple. Your discount is a single floating point number, maybe 0.99, and you experience an exponential decline, 0.99 to the power t. So of course, anything to the zeroth power is one. So in the first round, you value the house at, what do we say, 120,000? Uh, one time interval later, 0.99 to the 1 is 0.99, so a 1% discount off that price, the house is worth less to you now, presumably because you're going to have to get a storage unit or who knows what. Well, if these discount factors are also known, then the mathematics are very simple. There's a very basic formula, and since everything's known, you can calculate that optimal position right away. In other words, I come up to you and I say, look, you want the house for 100000 because you know I'd take that. I want the whole 120 you have. So let's go back and forth. I could come in at 115. You could come back at 108. I'll come back at 111. And we're going to ping pong around and waste our time paying the lawyers and all that stuff. We know everything on the table here. Let's just calculate where we'd end up after we had all that bravado played out. Let's just get to that number today, predict the future, shake hands and be done with this. Let's be very efficient hagglers. I don't have time for this. And the reason we can get to that number very easily is, again, there is common knowledge here. Both know our valuations. We both know our discounts. All right, let's make the problem harder. Now, I still know your true valuation and your discount factor. You're either too honest or I'm too clever. Either way, I know everything about you. You, on the other hand, don't know my valuation. Therefore, it's my private valuation. What you do have, though, is a probability over it. That's your belief. Maybe it's a Gaussian distribution. 
mean of, let's say, 100,000, standard deviation of 10, all the probability and the negative, just cut off the tail there and ignore that, since that doesn't make any sense. Pretend like it wasn't there, renormalize. Okay, that's your belief. And the problem's now mathematically more complicated. But if you follow this paper by Rubenstein, and if anybody wants the reference here, get on Slack and DM me. I just want to test this, see if anybody cares about that. I will dig up the reference. I'm not putting it in the show notes until somebody reaches out. Rubenstein's the author. If you find it on your own, I got a prize for you. If you're the first person to read it and come DM me, it'll be a good prize too, I promise. Rubenstein, one and two-sided incomplete information, something like that. So we call this one-sided incomplete information because on only one side of the table is the information incomplete. So you have a belief, you don't know my true valuation. But following the established procedure, you can again efficiently come to an answer here and say, well, under the circumstances, taking into account the uncertainty I have, I can have an expectation for what comes forward, and I can still find a perfect equilibrium here that we can decide on. Cool. Now let's make the problem harder. Next round, both of us have uncertainty. We don't know the preferences and inner parameters of each other. Yes, we still may have a belief over them even if that belief expresses a deeply uninformed state of mind. But rarely can you find equilibria in situations like this, only in very, very special cases. That isn't to say that there aren't a lot of clever people who have important things to say in this area. Certainly that's true. But we also know many of these solutions are not computable. So to me, what good are they? Anyway, why did we take this detour on negotiation? Right, because of the game. Got a few more things to train you on before you get back in the room. Let's think about how we can apply these concepts to the negotiation game. Well, this one looks kind of simple, actually, at least on the surface. You don't know your negotiating partner's private values over those three items, but perhaps you could have some probability distribution, and perhaps that could be updated in a Bayesian sort of way as you observe their behavior. This would be the classic kind of game-theoretic, decision-theoretic, Bayesian... Gaussian mixture model, Bayes net sort of way of doing this kind of thing. But that's not the only way you could approach this problem. You could take a more classic machine learning approach. Gather up a corpus of examples of people doing this negotiation, human players. Let's even mark that corpus up in a convenient way. A description of the negotiations that's both human and machine readable. The objective function is to maximize your reward. Well, actually, first you got to arrive at an agreement, but then hopefully an agreement that maximizes the rewards you get in terms of your private valuations and the items you win in the negotiation. So it's a great opportunity for reinforcement learning. Can we learn what language utterances to emit in order to arrive at a successful agreement? You know, observe the back and forth conversational nature of this negotiation. Surely there are patterns, what people say that arrive at agreement versus those that don't? Should you insult your opponent or compliment them or neither? How often do those strategies result in good outcomes? Although that's rather high level. That's recognizing this meta idea that they're a strategy. We're actually going to ask reinforcement learning to be more character level. Or really, we're not going to ask reinforcement learning much of anything. Our actual instructions to the learning process might best be described this way. I'm going to give you conversations in a language you don't understand. Then I will present you with the outcome. Was it successful? How much did each player earn? From this data, you must learn to emit the language, read the responses, and emit more in the most optimal way 
where optimality is a successful negotiation in which you make the most amount of money. And this is always the part in the story where I scratch my head and I say, can reinforcement learning do that? I mean, given an infinite amount of computing power, yes, it can do anything, pretty much. But this, can it make that leap? Is there too much information in the too much external context? Do we need pre-trained models? Well, if you're wondering what would happen if you didn't have pre-trained models, you just started from scratch. I have good news for you. You can find out exactly what happened. In fact, you already know this story, but you know it under a very different name. The story of Facebook pulling the plug on a dangerous experiment in which two computers learned to talk to each other in a new language that the researchers couldn't possibly comprehend. Now you know the story. And I apologize. A show called Data Skeptic should have covered this much sooner. It's been on the list for a while. And even today, I don't know that I have the best treatise for it, but I wanted to share a few details and a couple of thoughts. Thanks to this week's sponsor, The Great Courses Plus. One of the best things about The Great Courses Plus is that it's well curated. My interests tend to be depth. I go deep into subjects, but don't have time for all that many. Those that learn via breath first search are welcome at... So you guys know depth first search, right? And breath first search? If you don't, pause the show right now and go on The Great Courses Plus and get one of their algorithms or computer science courses. Come back when you know depth first search and breath first search, which are two excellent ways to explore and experience The Great Courses Plus archive of lectures. Whatever your interests, there are courses there for you, taught by professors from the best universities like Harvard, Yale, and Stanford. And yes, they're called courses, which is very appealing to me, but if you're one of those people who are like, yeah, of course, I wasn't a school person, I'm more of a lifelong learner, it's not like that. There aren't even any student loans involved here. The word edutainment comes to mind. I recommend the course Mathematical Decision Making, Predictive Models and Optimization. This one's filled with topics that are surely of interest to data skeptic listeners. And if you think you know the topics of predictive models and optimization, you might want to have a second look. Those are big subject areas. I think people of all backgrounds will find a lot of accessible materials on The Great Courses Plus. You can unlock a world of knowledge right now. They're offering my listeners a free trial of unlimited access to their entire library. Access this offer now by using my special URL thegreatcoursesplus.com slash data. It won't take you long to check it out, and that trial is free if you visit thegreatcoursesplus.com slash data. Let's take the headline at its face value. Researchers can't comprehend the language. Complete BS. It is another language. And in the same way a researcher who doesn't speak Spanish could learn to speak Spanish, the researcher could very likely learn to speak the machine language. Unless you also assume that this language is encrypted, that these reinforcement learning agents spontaneously not only invented a language, but invented encryption and somehow synchronized on keys in a way that you weren't able to observe, which doesn't make any sense. So while at a glance, the researchers surely couldn't have said what each symbol and word meant and why its presence was there, a thorough study would surely have given a result. After all, these agents are trying to share information over a limited channel. On some level, they're forced to maximize the information content. That leaves a pattern. The Facebook researchers explored both the supervised learning approach and the reinforcement learning approach. The paper will be in the show notes. 
Also, there's a notion of rollouts that I'm not going to cover, which very well named. It's sort of a projection or a look ahead kind of technique. And here's the spoiler alert. Skip ahead a few seconds or pull out your earbuds for a moment. If you don't want me to ruin the ending, I hate it when people ruin the ending of papers for me. I really do. What we learn in the analysis section of this paper is that coming in at the top of the leaderboard is reinforcement learning plus rollout. Overall scores of 8.3 to the agent, 4.3 to the other algorithms. A close second, the rollout algorithm. Precisely one point of reward behind it, only 7.3, still in the ranking. A photo finish behind that with reinforcement learning coming in at 7.1 and trailing behind in last place at a measly 5.4, the likelihood model. Overall agreement of that last place likelihood model still 87.9% of the time. Reinforcement learning plus rollout comes in at a whopping 94.4 record-setting percentage agreement. And if you look at the transcripts and see that they're talking about kind of basic stuff. I want all the balls. You can have all the hats. Let's split the books. This kind of stuff. And when I see that, I feel a lot more assured that, yeah, reinforcement learning can do that for sure. Their results prove that right. So what's the next step? Now ask the agents to free play against each other and see if a generative adversarial network competing at the speed of light against each other. Like Alpha Zero mastering games, so do these agents try and master the negotiation. And what happened as they progressed? What is this new language that they invented? Well, my take on it, well, they found more efficient ways of transmitting information to each other. Maybe by simple things like observing the frequency of a certain word and then emitting it yourself and always seeing a positive reinforcing response to that. Even if you start doing something stupid, like, you know, let's say I have some sort of tell, even if I don't intend it, that conveys a lot of information. Even if it gives an advantage to the opponent, it helps in successful negotiation. Now, all the original training data was in English, a fairly complicated language, much more fully powered than anything required for negotiating over three items. And reinforcement learning, in its typical way, behaves like a corrupt teamster. It finds the easiest way to shortcut its job, maybe even falsify its clock in and out times. Reinforcement learning doesn't care. It wants the shortest path to reward. And if dropping a few words, grammar, the elegance of the English language, gets you there a little faster, why not? And that's what the generator and the discriminator making up the GAN figured out. There's something almost childish about it. Picture the words as blocks. And they're not composing sentences, they're just stuffing the blocks they like into the right pattern. Now this is a classic situation in reinforcement learning. Forgetting an important constraint. I remember learning this lesson trying to make some very basic games in which an agent got to some goal location and earned points by getting there and lost a few points in the pits along the way. And to my surprise, the agent stood in place and did nothing when I ran my code. Why? Because it got zero reward that way. And to creep out in any direction meant there were chances they were falling in those pits. And sure, the reward was out there, but it just wasn't worth it for the risk. You got zero locked in. There's no guarantees of anything more positive than that. What's the solution? A very tiny penalty for not moving. That usually will do it. Minus 0 .0001. That's just enough to see, wow, if I stand in place, I just have an accruing small penalty. If I go out moving around a little bit, eventually I might wander someplace good. 
If I have some way of sensing and avoiding those holes, that'd be even better. And there's a lot of fine, sensitive tuning at this layer. Change those parameters up too much, and the agents behave in extreme ways. So in my simple case, the missing constraint was a small penalty for standing in place. In the case of the Facebook researchers, the penalty they chose to impose was that the agents continue to communicate in English. Which, now that I think of it, that's a hard constraint to enforce. I need to go reread this and see how they did that. That's interesting. That's all that happened here. Although I didn't check with them, I can't imagine the Facebook researchers would even say they were disappointed. This is a novel, interesting result, and one that they could then constrain for. Now, I realize this probably didn't need my skepticism. This isn't an expose. In fact, I'm sure there's already some expose blog post out there. But it is a nice way to get your foot in the door and start a conversation about data science with somebody, or AI, or machine learning, or what have you. Most people know that story. It's your job to make sure they know the facts. All right, I think we need to get back into the room and do this negotiation thing. Let's throw on another constraint I didn't mention, is that you can only converse for so long. We want finite negotiating conversations, so assume some sort of time or character limit. So while those agents didn't have any initial incentive to stick to English, you probably do, but even you are going to simplify the language. Converse very directly with your opponent. Almost like a telegram, remember? Mother's well. Stop. Harvest is good. Stop. Wait, was it stop? Is that what they used to say? Anyway, to me here, the moral isn't just about making sure we have the record straight. It's about this very novel problem with a lot of interesting computational aspects. And although reinforcement learning plus rollout seems to be the leading contender, it's not the only approach to a problem like this. At a very high level, this is a mapping from the set of all possible strings to some probability over the outcome. And when stated that way, it's an exponentially exhausting problem. So it doesn't seem like there's ever going to be an exact solution to how to approach this. Sort of its own kind of no-free-lunch theorem in a way. So while it looks like reinforcement learning's ahead, I look forward to watching this very carefully. If there's anyone listening who reads this literature, I'd love it if you sent me a link once in a while. Well, anyway, I actually have to go catch a plane, so we're going to cut this short. Just a few more weeks of natural language processing here, guys. I have some great interviews lined up, one that I'm going to record when I get back, and then we will see a topic change somewhere in July. I know what it is. I'm going to tell the members pretty soon, but that's it for today. <laughs>